And this morning we're continuing our Advent series, the series Advent Together. And the invitation at the start of this series was that actually this season can quite often be a busy, full, packed time of year. And the invitation in the midst of this, maybe we could be a people who pull a few things off the schedule. Actually, that this might be a time that we would slow down and actually do this season together as a community and explore what it would look like to do Advent together, that as we explore the themes of Advent, of hope, of peace, of joy, of love, that we would learn what it means to be a community of hope, of peace, of joy, of love. And this morning, we're going to look at this idea of what does it mean to be a community of peace. So I want to start with some biblical passages, some passages from Scripture. Just kind of let's imagine what is script, the pictures that Scripture paints of what peace looks like. And I want to start by looking in the book of Isaiah, this prophetic word that was spoken of, when the Messiah comes, what will it look like? What will happen? And there's this beautiful image of peace that when the Messiah comes with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, that he will judge, will see his justice, and there will be peace. And this image in Isaiah 11, of it says, The wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear, their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And in that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for all the peoples. The nations will rally to join him and his resting place will be glorious. There's this beautiful image of all creation at peace, of lions and lambs. There's just like this incredible image of predators and prey existing together in harmony and peace. All these different animals. And we can imagine, like, you can imagine literally these animals, but also the sense for us, like, for people groups, like those who would normally attack, those who would normally be attacked, at peace with each other. It's not at the end we're all going to be lambs. It's lions and lambs, wolf and sheep still exist but together in harmony. It's not the strong one out or it's we all become the soft weak ones. We exist together in harmony. And then we see this start to be fulfilled when Jesus comes and Paul speaks these words of actually people groups who are so desperate, so distant, from each other, being united. And in Ephesians, Paul says this, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, not just from each other, but from God, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. This image of Jew and Gentile pulled together in Jesus, this image of beautiful peace in Christ. 
And finally, in Revelation, this image of at the end, what it looks like. And John says this, these words in chapter 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This image of at the end that nations are reconciled, that people groups exist together still, still in their language, their culture, their nation, but they exist in peace, all worshipping God this beautiful image. And it's not just this image of we're not at conflict. It's not just a truce, but together worshiping our God. That's these like deep, profound relationships with God, with each other at huge levels. But I think as well, at one-on-one, at family level, at marriage level, at friend level, there's this like, relationships where, where we are fully loved, fully known, that we can speak truth and have truth received and just these relationships of peace and flourishing. People from all walks of life existing together in harmony. That's the image. That when we come to Advent, it's a season where we're saying, Jesus, we want you to come. We need you to come because we need this image fulfilled. We need this kind of peace. This is the peace that we desire. And I don't know about you, but for me, in this season, it's easy to forget kind of what Advent's about and just slip into what Christmas season is, whatever that is. The season where it's actually you just, I think I've got a picture of you just slip into this mode of like, let's just put up the lights, like, Let's put up the Christmas tree. Let's put on the Christmas carols. Let's watch some terrible Christmas movies. And like, I'm terrible at this. Like, I go full into this. I have watched some terrible Christmas movies, even this year already. (laughs) But like, this is something, but it's just like, oh, we want this piece. But do you know what they're like? We can't get that. So we settle for this like, let's just get into all the sentimentality, the nostalgia, just this light. Let's push away the worries of the year and the world and let's just avoid that stuff and get into the Christmas season. And I think even in the midst of this, what we're really doing is we're just avoiding the uncomfortable relationships and feelings. And particularly if our Christmas season is busy, it's just like, oh, we can't actually... We know we kind of want this peace that Christ offers, but we can't get there, and we're busy. So we'll settle for that picture of like the lights and the colors and all the emotions. We'll, we'll do that. But I think Christ offers something better to us. Because I think if we just in this Christmas season go into that stuff, we know it doesn't actually change anything in us. It doesn't get us peace. And I think one of the reasons I know this is because then a week after Christmas, we all make these commitments to like, okay, this next year I'll be better. This next year I'll figure stuff out. I'll live a more peaceful life. I just got to get through this Christmas season and then I'll make a commitment to do it better next year. 
And I think in the midst of this, I want to bring one of the key figures throughout church history that is brought into the season. And this is the person of John the Baptist. He is the figure that's most associated with Advent season. And I want to bring his words to us this morning. And in Matthew's gospel, it says this, In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is who he was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing them, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word that comes to us in Advent season. That John comes into this world and this season where it's so easy to settle for this weird Christmas piece and John comes in and says, no, that's not peace. Like, I don't think... Someone walks into the room. Who do, you walk, who do you think walks into the room bringing peace? I think a Santa walks into the room. You think, oh, that's jolly, that's fun, that's peaceful. Imagine John the Baptist walking in the room wearing clothes made of camel's hair. He's not the natural person you'd think, oh, there's a peaceable man. He's going to, like, everything's going to be peaceful in the room. No, John comes in and stirs stuff up calls people out of a world that's not in peace. They may think it is. The Pharisees and the Sadducees think they've got it sus. And John comes in and says, no, 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 no. That is not peace. I'm calling that out. We need to change. We need to repent and believe to get the true peace of God and his kingdom. And this isn't just John who does this, but Jesus does this too. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus says, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemy will be the members of his own household. That Jesus and John recognize like, we don't get to that image at the end by just continuing what we're doing. We, don't just like, we won't just naturally end up there. No, this requires a radical change. It requires confronting areas of our lives and our worlds that are not at peace. 
and in those places we become peacemakers. That it might mean, as Jesus says, that it will, as we raise that stuff to the surface, these places of conflict, of discomfort, Jesus says it might actually turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, as the stuff isn't just like pushed down and we pretend that everything's okay, but as we raise it to the surface and start to address it in the sake of true peace. That's what we want to get after. And I know for me, this is super challenging. Like when we were figuring out the sermon series, I put my hand up and said, I'll do peace. Most people think I'm a pretty peaceable, nice guy. And then as I read how Advent addresses peace historically and John the Baptist and his words, I was like, man, this is like the one I'm the worst at. Like, I'm good at getting this false peace. Like, that's probably in a lot of ways my default of like, let's make things seem nice at the surface by just pushing all the conflict and disagreements down. That I'm pretty good at that. And for me, it's been a couple of weeks of really being confronted by God and by scripture of just like, man, God calls us to this beautiful image of peace, but the way to get there isn't by just like ignoring strife and conflict and pretending things are okay. And for me particularly, as a pastor, as a leader in this place, like here we want to be a community of peace. And if I'm not good at that, mate, I need to do some work so that we as a church community, can be a community of peace. A community where when we disagree with someone or something that's happening, we don't just stay silent. Because I think a community that sits, relationships that sit in false peace, nothing actually gets dealt with, nothing gets worked through. Stuff just gets pushed below the surface and we kind of just ignore conflict. And I think as Kiwis, we're probably pretty good at this, of like, I know, maybe, I'm, maybe it's just me. I'll put it on the culture. But um, that we'd rather lose a relationship or get to a super distant relationship than actually address things. We'd rather say, actually, I'll just let that get distant. I'll let that get disconnected rather than working through the places where there isn't peace. We'd rather sit in this place of false peace. There's this, I remember someone saying, kind of analyzing Kiwi culture actually, and saying, there's this weird thing with Kiwis where you, you, like, you go around to their house for dinner, you'll meet them at work, and they're really nice, and then you'll just never hear from them again. <laughs> like they'll disagree with something, there'll be some issue, but they'll never bring it out they just won't talk to you again and you'll just never know why. They're really nice, but I don't know what happened. And I think, for me even, thinking like, for me, peace growing up, peace now is probably quite synonymous with silence. If there's not overt conflict, that's, that's good enough peace for me. And the problem is it isn't true peace. It's false peace. Pete Scazzaro says this, unresolved conflicts remain one of the greatest tensions in Christian lives today. We don't know what to do with these difficult issues and so we ignore them, hoping against hope they'll go away someday. 
that we have these, can have these patterns of making false peace. And like our most intimate relationships with our spouses, with our partners, with our family members, with our friends, but even with strangers. Like, I was thinking this week around my patterns of false peacemaking, and I can remember an instance where I had a door-to-door salesperson come to a house wanting to raise money for some charity, kind of giving a weekly amount. And I, I, as soon as they came, I thought, oh, I'm not going to give anything to this person. I'm not interested. But I sat with them for like 20 minutes, listening to their spiel, listening to their heart, listening. And I filled out the form, filled in my bank account, agreed to like a weekly or a monthly amount, knowing that as soon as they left, I was getting back in the house on my laptop and writing an email saying, hey, I'm not actually interested and joining and signing up and giving money. Like, so wanting to not be upfront and honest with this person in front of me that I just went along with it for the sake of keeping this false peace. And, like, neither of us is better for it. This person's probably left thinking, like, oh, that was a, that was a great guy who signed up and given money. And I've maintained that status in their eyes, but it's all based on an illusion and false peace that I'm not willing to say to this person, hey... I appreciate what you're doing, but no thank you. There's literally all it required. And yet, to avoid even that level of conflict, I was like, I think I'll sit here for 20 minutes, sign up, give over my bank account details. Like, how ridiculous is that? But I think we can so get into those patterns of just avoiding being open, being honest. And especially thinking around, like, this time of year, I don't know about your family, but like our family, one of our families has like a secret Santa and we agree to an amount that you buy a present for someone else in the family. Um, and just a disclaimer, our one, I'm happy with the amount that we're spending. But you can imagine a situation, say, where you have this family secret Santa and, someone see, and the person who sets it up says, hey guys, we're going to spend $200 on your secret Santa person this year. $200. So everyone's got to spend $200. And you might be internally thinking, man, I can't afford $200 on a gift this year. But I don't really want to stir up tension, so I'll just go with it. I'll just eat baked beans on toast for the month of December so I can save up the money to buy this present. And then you spend $200, get this present, and then you get your $200 present back. And it's a terrible $200 present. Like, I imagine for me, I would get through that, I say, like, okay, I didn't like it, but at least I'm going to get something good in return. And then imagine if you didn't get anything good in return. And you've maintained this false peace, this false agreement of like, yep, I'm in, yep, I'm willing to spend $200. And it's all based on illusion. And you just end up bitter and annoyed and angry and with this gift that you don't really want that's worth far more than it should be. And you spend all this money. Like you get these situations play out of like we get into these relationships that even year after year are built on this false piece of let's just go along with it. I don't really want to, but it's easier to maintain this false peace than seek after true peace. Even for around, like, around the table around Christmas when it's families gathered, maybe friends gathered too, of like the person in the family who makes the inappropriate comments, the 
the comments you're like, oh, I don't really agree with that. Oh, that's pretty inappropriate. But we just kind of smile and nod. Just like, okay. And like, I know for me, it's like smile and nod and like, what I'm really doing is I'm doing silence with the idea like, oh, I'm not saying anything back. So they'll pick that up and they'll realize, oh, this isn't like, no one actually agrees with this. So they'll, they'll stop it and they'll change their beliefs. My being silent and nodding, <laughs> stuff will happen. But then you know, like, it happens every time. Like, years after year, that strategy has not worked. <laughs> but I think we can, again, these patterns, and it doesn't take much. Like, I can think in even closer relationships, with a spouse, with a close friend, with a, like, close family, it can happen as well, where... Again, you're not wanting to risk. There's some sense of like, oh, if I raise this issue, if I raise something I disagree with, if I raise this need, it's going to raise conflict and I might lose the relationship. So I'm happy to just sit here in false peace, happy to sit just getting more and more distant and separated because I don't want to risk something. And I think... If we're honest around here, we've got this value of being. We want to be people who are open and honest. And I think if we're honest, if we buy into these patterns of doing relationships, of living in false peace, we're actually lying. Like it's actually being dishonest, going along with these things, saying like, we're all good, it's all good, yet we're happy. And under the surface, we're not actually. Like we're actually lying. And I was thinking around, reminded of a list that I saw a few years ago of ways that we can lie. And I found it quite confronting when I looked through it. Of like, actually, it's, when I think of lying, it's often the overt saying something that's clearly wrong. But I think in relationships, it can be far more subtle. That when we're telling a story, when we're communicating with something, we just tweak the wee facts. Of like, oh, if I change these wee details, it'll come across better and I won't. I know that person, if I say this thing, they'll raise an issue, so I'll just change it a wee bit, and then it'll, the story will go better. Or you just like leave out a few key details because you know that'll go better. Maybe it is just like you, cha- like you literally say lies, false facts. Maybe it's these, these false emotions of like, you even can put on these emotions of how you're feeling, and it's not actually what's going on that you're changing with yourself to maintain this false peace, which often ends up creating this whole false story. Like you can imagine the family member who says that comment that you're like, that was a bit of a racist comment. You can imagine if you never address that, and then every time they come, they can say that behavior. Then it becomes a story of like, oh, he's just the racist brother. Because it's never been raised. It's never been challenged. It's never been brought to light. And these stories can develop and maybe even justifications for how you're doing things. Maybe it's just minimizing. Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal when he did that. It wasn't when she did that. I didn't actually mind. This one. When someone asks your opinion or your thoughts around something and just say, I don't know. And you know you know, like some controversial topic comes up and you're like, oh, I do actually have an opinion on that. But if I share what I actually think, it's not going to go down well. 
even if I share it with grace and humility and love, so like, it's just the opt-out. I don't know. Maybe it is like this hidden agenda of like, if I like, I want to change the situation, but if I go around it in covert ways, passive-aggressive ways, then maybe I can change the situation and get peace. Maybe then they'll recognize. Maybe it's through exaggerating. Maybe it's through gossip, just like, I won't talk about the issue with the person in front of me, but on the drive home, and then when I go to work the next day, I process with everyone who'll listen to me (laughs) around this issue, rather than just talking to the actual person. Rather than just like, hey, when this happened, I didn't like it, I felt this, would you consider maybe doing things differently? And I think that's the challenge for us as we read the words of Jesus, of John, people who come and say, no, we're not going to settle for this false peace, for this kingdom that is maintaining things where things are not okay. Jesus comes and says, no, I did not come to bring this kind of peace. Came to disrupt. John says, no, our attitude to the world is to repent, to change, to believe that he calls out the religious leaders in the midst of this. And I think in the midst of this season, it can be really hard. Like, when I hear the words of John, hear the theme of Advent of Peace, for me what comes up is, but like, this time of year I'm so tired. I'm so done. Like, I've tried working on these relationships. I just need a break. Can I just slip into like watching these Christmas movies, listening to these Christmas carols? Like, do I have to actually address this? I don't have the energy. Can I just let it slide? That's what I feel. And I think the I think Advent says this then this is exactly the right season for you. That this season is about saying, man, we have tried this year. We have done stuff and we just need Jesus to come. That he is coming and man, we need him to come. These relationships that I've got, I, it's false peace, it's not real peace, they're not working out well, I am not doing well in these. Jesus, I need you to come and yeah, I need you to move. In my close relationships and in our world, we need your kind of peace. We're tired, we're worn out, it's been a big year. Jesus, can you come and do some work? This is what this season is about. The season of acknowledging that actually we need Christ to enter in. And that's what we're called to as his followers, to be people who let Christ enter in so that we can be peacemakers in our world, that we acknowledge that at, as we'll get to later, this communion table, that Christ came and was our ultimate peacemaker with us, that he was the one who saw, actually things aren't right between us, and I'm going to like name that and do something about that. That even for each of us, God did not leave us isolated saying, hey, we're not at peace, but let's leave this. Christ came and says, no, I'm going to confront this stuff. I'm going to address it. I want to work on it. 
I don't want this to be distant. I don't want you to be separated from me. I'm going to name that. Sometimes the naming can be hard, but it's for the sake of like Christ wants to pull us in, be close, be intimate with each of us. And he says, as my followers, I want you to be those same kind of peacemakers in our world. Because in Matthew's gospel, Jesus says in the Beatitudes, blessed are the peacemakers. And peacemakers here assumes, you'd assume that if you need peacemakers, things aren't at peace. Like there is conflict, there is disruption, things aren't okay. So we as the followers of Christ are called to be in those places like Jesus, like John saying, hey guys, everything on the surface seems okay, but actually this isn't true peace and can name that stuff. And I love this sense of blessed are the peacemakers because then it says, Jesus says after that, because they will be called the children of God. Like they're the ones who Jesus, they'll be called, oh, they're Jesus' family. They're Jesus' community. The ones who are willing to be in the world following Jesus and calling out places of false peace and doing something about it. That's the world to recognize and be like, they're the children of God. They're his family. That's what we're called to as his followers, to identify those moments of false peace when you're like, oh, something's up, no one's saying anything about this, I'm going to be the one who addresses this with love and humility and grace and kindness and self-control. Address those moments. And it does require of us an emotional and a spiritual maturity. But that maybe it's around this dinner table where someone says something and you're like, hey, I don't agree with that. And it does, it's not you like, like the invitation here, I'm someone who avoids conflict. Some of us are probably quite happy with it. The invitation today isn't like, oh, David's saying, let's go and stir up some stuff. Like the invitation isn't just like, let's go like call out everyone's weaknesses and failings. That is not the invitation. The invitation is that we are like, we call out and name false peace for the sake of peace, of true peace. That's what we're doing. So maybe it's like in a round a table, someone says something, you're like, oh, I do not like that. And it's not like, you don't even necessarily have to explicitly like condemn them, thou saith the Lord. It's maybe even it's just asking like, hey, does anyone else around the table agree with that? Or what does anyone else think? You're just kind of shining a light on like, hey, maybe this isn't everyone's opinion in the room. Because often in these situations, someone can say something that you, or do something that no one actually agrees with, but if we all smile and nod, they're probably going to think it's okay. They're probably going to think everyone's on the same page as them. And I know this is true for us as well. I'm sure we've said things in rooms, and no one's said anything in response. We've thought, oh, they all agree with me. Yes. And how much it sucks when that doesn't happen and you realize actually everyone in the room disagreed with me, but they just smiled and nodded and then walked out 
and maybe talked about it with other people and there was just a false peace. So as followers of Christ, will we be people who identify those moments of false peace and do something about it for the sake of true peace? And I think this is why it's important in the season we've invited everyone to, for this to be a season where we slow down. Because this practice requires us to be slow, to think through our responses, to process our emotions, to think through, is this just me or is this something I need to actually address? This requires a slowness to do it well, to do it with specificity, that when these things come up, we can say to that person, hey, when you did this thing last night, this is what it made me feel. Not, oh, you always do this. So you're a terrible person. And I think it requires us to actually come and address things with a specificity that, hey, maybe in your head you're like, mate, they've done this thing for 10 years. I want to talk about the 10 years. But the invitation is, hey, maybe just address the last time they did it or the time they've just done it and let's talk about that rather than building them up as this character, this villain, this enemy, hey, what if we address with grace, with humility, with self-control, these moments of disagreement, of conflict, for the sake of true peace? Because I think as we practice this, I want to call as we practice this, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers because you will be called children of God. That this Advent season, let's be peacemakers. I want to invite the band up. And I think we do this, as I said, because Christ has done it for us and in us. And in this community, Christ has done a work of peacemaking. And he calls us into that too. That we would be like John the Baptist, who can go into the world and as a peacemaker. One who it's not a jolly center, but one who can call out these moments of false peace. 